Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. It's uh, it's great to uh, to be together, and you know we were thinking about how do we just celebrate with our celebrate with you. You know we often share thanks though. We often um, kind of share with you when things are not going well, and then we're like, hey, we hope you figure out when things are going great. So things are going great. It's a great way to start the new year. And if you've been with us, you know that we've started the new year as a church, asking you to think about the dangerous ways you might build your life on the wrong things this year. You know, we've been doing this together because we all know that at the beginning of a new year, there's all these priorities and things that come our way. And we're like, okay, how do I do this and that? And then how do I also make time for God? And how, where does God fit in all that, you know? And I know this in my own life. When I'm not intentional about this, God usually doesn't really make it in there. Except when there's an emergency and I have to pray for the Lord to help me. But we don't want to be those kinds of people. We don't want to be the kind of church. We want to be those who set aside time consistently, and it's building our lives on the teachings of Jesus that we've been talking about. And if you've been here, you know we've talked about how there's different images in the Bible that help us with this. Images, and many, many of you maybe remember, we talked about the image of Jesus being a cornerstone, that he's the kind of the first stone in the beginning of building a building. And then he sets the, the range of all the other blocks in the building, right? So what does it mean to put God first? You just got an example of that, putting God first with our money, putting God first with our time, putting God first just with our, with our family, to saying, you know, we're going to just start practicing a few things together as a family to, so our kids would learn that God is very important to us when we make a decision. You know, we, we sometimes look for ways to do this with our kids that might not work for you. I remember when we were going on vacation, even just this year, and we were traveling a long ways, you know, we were oftentimes say, let's just pray before we just travel. And it could be weird. Our kids are like, I'm on my switch. I'm on my device. What are we, why are we praying in the car? This is weird. You know, whatever. It is weird, by the way. It can feel weird. But it's just a marker, just these little things. Maybe you're looking for ways to do that. But one of the things I want to tell you this morning as we begin, that all of us this year in 2023 will change. Every one of us will change. Some of us will gain weight. Some of us will lose weight. Some of us will get stronger. Some of us will get healthier. Some of us will not be healthier. Some things will just change. And many of those things change by accident. They just happen. And you're just like, oh, how does this even happen? But spiritual maturity and spiritual transformation won't just happen by mistake you will have to intentionally commit to saying, Jesus, in a world that sends continuous messages my way, I will need your help to know when it is you're speaking to me and how it is you're calling me to change and to grow. And you know, actually, there's people in the Bible that we read about. There's this wonderful kind of book in the Bible, and it's a section of the Bible called Wisdom Books. And it's this person who talks about, in a sense, the Bible gives us like this deep struggle that a person feels. And it's this person who's decided that some things never change. Have you ever been there? Maybe you think of someone, someone you know, you get frustrated, and you're like, some things will never change. Like, for example, when I think about politics, have you talked to somebody who loves politics? They'll be like, ah, oh, they're never going to change. Politicians always corrupt. Anyone? No, none of you here? Okay, right. Sure. I've been to your house. I know. Okay. So... There's, there's some things like we get to the place where our hearts go from being like excited, new year, and then we kind of get cynical and suspicious. And then our hearts start to get hard and we get stubborn. And we start to believe that things will never change. You know, and this book in the Bible, it's called the book of Ecclesiastes, gives us a person, it's almost like a made-up character, who starts to say certain things that a person who stops believing that people can change starts to say. One of his favorite lines is that everything is meaningless. It's, it's, this is actually in the Bible. It's, it's great. This person says, like, I look at the world, and I look at, like, the corruption, and I look at the people who love money, and I look at the government, and I look at the hospitals, and everything is just meaningless. You know anybody like that? You're like, I'm married to someone like that. All right, amen. 
The Bible is so great that way. Like it tells us things that we're like, I think I've felt that sometimes. At the beginning of a new year, that's one of the biggest battles we will face. When our desire to change, when our desire to see God do something new hits life. And then you're like, yeah, people, they don't change. People, they're all the same. Managers, you have a manager at your work? Man, let me tell you about managers. Let me, doctors? Oh, let me tell you about doctors. Right? You, you get to this place where you stop believing that things can change and that God could do something new and that he can transform you and other people and the world. This is one of the biggest battles we're going to face this year because we're all going to feel that. And actually, this person in the Bible who starts to say these things, he has this phrase that you hear all the time. I actually hear people use it in church and even in kind of culture. This is what he says. He begins and he says, everything's meaningless. Nothing's going to change. People are never the same. And then he says this. It's profound. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. This is what that person says. Any of you ever say this or hear this? You might not know this. This is a phrase from someone who doesn't believe in God, by the way. This is a phrase from someone who's decided that the world is meaningless. Nothing changes. What's happened before is going to happen again. You messed up before, you're going to happen again. You know what this person doesn't understand? Grace. Grace is that great gift of God that the, what's happened in your past does not have to happen again. That the mistakes you made in your past do not have to be the way you're going to be defined this year or ever. And sometimes we often use, oh, whatever's happened before, happened again, and nothing's new under the sun, not realizing that the person who the Bible invites us to hear saying this is someone who's lost faith in the power of God to change people. That can happen to all of us this year. All of us can do this. And anybody who's a Christian, by the way, just so you know, we just came out of Christmas time. And if you forgot, and at Christmas time, we're, we're reminded that God does new things, that God decides that he's going to become a human. That's never been done before. That's not just something new under the sun. That in the next few years, those who follow Jesus will realize that God takes a person who's been dead for three days and brings him back to life. That's never been done before. That's a new thing under the sun. But the person in this book of Ecclesiastes is a person who maybe quietly is at the place where their heart is so hard, stubborn, change. Come on, people change. Yeah, okay. They pretend. They pretend like they're going to change. Is that you sometimes? Maybe you find yourself, your heart. You know when I get most discouraged about change? When I realize that I'm not changing. When I realize that I'm not trusting God for God to heal things in me. And then what I start to do is I take that and I'm like, people are like me. I can't change, they can't change. And we know that the Bible talks about change in a very particular way. It's not about willpower. It's not about positivity. It's not about like, go get him, tiger. Although, I mean, that's fine. But it's the kind of change that requires deep surrender. Deep, deep surrender. A surrender that leads us to confession. A surrender that leads us to do a 180, which is the biblical word for to turn. To turn from your way of seeing the world and to start to see the world the way God sees the world and the way the Bible invites us to see the world because Jesus came. Everything changes. Do you want that? Or... Are you still in your heart at times like this person in Ecclesiastes, you know, what happened last year is going to happen this year. The way I used to be last year, I'm going to be this year. The people I worked with last year are still going to be annoying like they were last year. All these things, right? Are you like, God, God, protect me from the voice. The voice of the person or the ways that sometimes I might be prone to look at the world in the pain and the struggles and the noise and say, you know what? The Bible, God, religion, it's meaningless. All of that is meaningless. Why waste your time with any of that? This is one of the things we really have to deal with. And I want to talk about someone this morning that had to learn this in such a painful way. You know, if, if we've looked at, you know, the image of a, of a cornerstone as one image, if you missed that, you can go online and watch that. Last week, I talked about an anchor, the way God anchors us in a new way. And if you missed that, again, you can watch that. This week, I want to talk about a person. And I think about what it means to be a person who's firmly built on Jesus, you know? And I thought, there's no way I can get through this series by telling you about a person whose name is The Rock, right? Like, it kind of be hard. I kind of have to go to that. And I don't mean like The Rock, like the wrestler The Rock, right? Like, th there's, there's that image in our mind because our culture thinks of like strong, you know, just masculine, uh, the famous person. But actually, the Bible tells us that there's this person who one day Jesus will talk with He'll invite him to follow him. His name is Simon Peter. And Simon Peter is like firecracker kind of guy. 
He's like excited one day, not sure the next day. On fire, yeah, brave heart. Oh, woe is me. Like you can't even track with him. He's all over the map. Jesus says, Peter, you should follow me. Peter's going to have to learn what it means to build his life on the teachings of this Jesus. And you know what? He's going to fail many times, just like you and I. And even though he fails, and even though he struggles, at one point, very important point, where he gets a glimpse of who Jesus really is, Jesus says, today, remember your name? It's going to be The Rock. Isn't that awesome? Just this moment, it's like a new nickname. I'm sure the other guys who are there are going to make fun of him for a while. Yeah, The Rock is here. Relax, bro. Tone it down. You know? How many times do you think Peter's going to use that card? All the time. I would use it. You show up, people are having a disagreement. They're not sure what to do. You show up, guess what you say? Guess who's here? The rock's here. I got this. This is what we're going to do, right? And they, they joke about it, but this is serious. Because Peter now maybe feels the expectations of having to be someone firmly in control, who's on Jesus' side, who's going to defend God, who's going to defend the things of God, who's going to stand up for what's right. And as he does this, he gets in a lot of, a lot of trouble. Early on in Peter's life, we realize he's excited and sometimes he, he understands what it means God's calling him to and sometimes it's not clear, so he makes mistakes. One time, Peter's so confused about what God is saying to him that God speaks to him in a dream and he still gets it wrong. I know people like that. They're like, God, if you give me a dream, dear Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. No, you won't. You'll be like confused. I don't even know what that dream means. Peter has that problem. He struggles. He needs someone to help him interpret the dream. And even after that, he's like, I don't know. I don't know if this is God. I'm not sure what to do. But we have stories of this Peter who's a rock, an image of being firm. And at one point, we have an example in the book of Acts where this happens to Peter. It's profound. It's about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intended to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. He's next. How many of you are like, oh boy, being a ministry partner is not a good idea all of a sudden. Attending church is not bad, but belonging to the church, you know what happens to those people. Next thing you know, the government decides we're shutting it down. And imagine hearing that some of the people who've said yes to Jesus, they're supposed to be built on the, the foundation of Jesus, and they're dead. Try to sell that to somebody. Pitch that idea. To somebody, you should come. The 180, it's nice for the kids. It's really nice. But every so often, one of us dies. But it's amazing. Let's just pray. Amen. Let's pray. All of you would leave in 30 seconds. I would leave. Right? And very quickly, we would start to be like, everything's meaningless. You see, where is God? How come he's not helping us? Where, where? That's not what Peter does. Acts chapter 12, you read this whole section. Something profound happens. It's really beautiful. Peter's praying. Christians are praying, and you might, you read it, it's, it's wild. It's like God sends an angel, and the, the doors of the, the prison open up, and he leaves. All oh, people love this story. We, we sang about it. He's a chain breaker. Whew. Come on now. I could preach that sermon any day, right? Until it doesn't happen to me or you. You pray, and you still feel the chains. Peter, like, is set free, and he goes to the house of the people who are praying for him. He knocks on the door. They're like, hey, it's me. And they're like, what? That looks like Peter. Isn't he supposed to be in jail? Like, what's happening? God's doing something miraculous now. I want you to keep that story in the back of your mind. I want you to keep the story of miraculous movements of God. Because when Peter's going to write to people who are struggling, what he will not say to them when they're struggling is just pray for a miracle. He will not say that. He'll understand that sometimes what we need is the greatest miracle is us to just get mature in our faith and say yes to Jesus no matter what we're going through. The greatest miracle of your life is that you're going to grow up this year. Because only people who are mature have what it takes to interpret miracles. Many people who are immature interpret miracles as something magical. And actually, there's so many people in our culture that use miracles to trick people into following Jesus. Oh, if you come to my crusade, if you come to my church, we are in the come to the front, it's powerful, miraculous. Yet Peter, in this story, who experiences a miracle, rarely flashes that card to anyone. He rarely uses that as the way that we're anchored to God. Although we should pray for miracles, by the way. We should long for God to do something beautiful and supernatural. But that's not the pattern. The pattern that Peter calls us to is maturity. 
deep maturity first. And he does this through two letters that he writes. We have these letters. It's amazing. Called First and Second Peter. In First and Second Peter, we have obviously we're not sure. Scholars are are aware that Peter's probably not like writing this himself, but he's probably talking about the ways God has been moving, and he's telling other people like we got to write this down because we want to encourage others who are going to get discouraged in life. We want to write this down for them. We're going to write this down, and God, we know, uses the writings. They become the writings of the church early on, and to this day, we still have these writings that we can read so that we can be encouraged. If you have time this week, you might want to read First and Second Peter, these letters, and, and likely Peter is writing or dictating some of these letters when he's in prison in Rome, and he's struggling again. Maybe it's no miracle. By the way, Peter's going to die as a martyr. These miracles don't always just happen. It's not like a magic show. It's going to be hard and difficult. And he's going to have to learn to remember Jesus talked about this. And we're going to like build our life on his teaching. And at times he's going to do a miracle. But at times he's going to let us go through things that are going to help us to understand that the miracle is we need to become more mature. That's the miracle. And at one point in the letter to, the, to Peter, this is what he says in that letter, 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And if you're taking notes, you're circling this one for sure. Honor the emperor. Like, are you kidding me? This is Peter writing. He's like, those who are mature, those whose lives are built on the teachings of Jesus have learned how to do these things. They've learned to welcome the freedom of God and to not see God's freedom and God's ways as something that's just for them. Just something so that they can show off or just prove that they're more spiritual or just act like, great, I have Jesus in my heart and Jesus is going to help me be successful. Go get him, gang. There's none of that. If you believe that, it's because you're not reading your Bible. Peter was in prison. The rock. You know, you get this letter at the church. You're like, hey, we got a letter. We think it's from Peter. Yeah? He sent us a letter? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's from him. You sure? Is it signed the rock? Yeah. It's from him. Let's, let's read this. And somebody gets up and they start to read the letter in front of the whole church. They're like, everybody quiet. Shh, we're going to read this. this will be... And they get to this part. And by the way, honor the emperor. The people Peter's writing to are going through suffering and struggles and challenges. And they're like, really? We were hoping you would say, and the miracle is coming. It happened to me in Acts chapter 12. He doesn't say that. He says, learn to be people who see your freedom as a space by which you learn to become mature, where you're understanding what it, what it means to show respect to who? To people who respect you? To people who agree with you? No, to everyone. Respect everyone. We've never lived at a time in history where Christians need to learn how to respect everyone. That means lego. Some of you, that means politicians. That means people. This doesn't mean we have to agree with them. But Peter's like, hey, 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 those who were building their lives on Jesus were learning to respect everyone. This is hard. I don't know, man. I I mean, I struggle with that sometimes. I like respecting people that are like me. I like respecting people who agree with me. I think that's easy. What's going to take even to teach our kids to be these kinds of people? To respect everyone? And then no one expects the last part. No one expects to honor the emperor. Because we want Peter to tell us, no, Peter, remember? Remember when you had a sword and you, you told us that we could fight, we're going to fight for the Lord? What's happened to Peter almost? It's deep maturity. If he was there, he'd be like, it is. And sometimes you have to be ready to go. And sometimes a miracle happens. But, 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 before that, practice this. Honoring the emperor. Just being careful about certain things that happen. And we know that the earliest Christians are struggling with this. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean you just do whatever the emperor says? Does it mean you just kind of disobey the writings of the Jewish people? What does that mean? We're not told. But we know that the people that Peter's writing to are people who feel the suffering and the pain of life. They're struggling. Also, we know something really important about these people that if you're taking notes, you want to remember. If you're in a Bible study, you know we do this. We take time and unpack this. But I want to, I want to show you at the end of this letter, Peter tells us who's writing the letter for him. This is what we're told. With the help of Silas or Silvanus is his name, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace 
of God. And then he says, stand fast in it. We, we might miss this. We might never catch this. You're like, oh, that's a nice person. Silas, in some of your Bibles, if you're taking notes, there's a little kind of footnote there. And in some translations, his name is translated Silvanus. But Silas and Silvanus are both names that you would give to a Greek person, not a Jewish person. That means that Peter is already writing to Christians who are Greek, who are saying yes to Jesus, and who are building their lives on the teachings of Jesus, even though they're not Jewish. They're already starting to understand that the message of Jesus is not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for like God's people in the Old Testament. It's already becoming the news, the good news to build your life on for the people who were not Jews, the Greeks. And Silvanus is not only somebody who believes in God, he's ready to serve Peter. He's like, Peter, you're getting old, you're tired, we don't know. Just as you speak, I'll transcribe this. I'll get this to the churches. You know, this year, each of us get a chance to be a brother or sister to someone else that God is using so that we can encourage them. I thought about this this year. You know, as I read my Bible, sometimes I read, I'm like, I want to be Peter. But God's like, what if I want you to be Silas? I'm like, yeah, but it's not flashy. Like, Peter's Peter. Silas, most people don't even know who he is. They don't even care. And I think for us this year, one of the things that we can pray for is for God to call us to be people who look for ways that God's message is moving on and connecting to others and helping them understand that God is with them. And we can step into that and say, can we help in any way? Can we serve in any way? Can we assist you in this in any way? We as a church are inviting you into this almost every Sunday. Our teachers right now who stepped up to learn and to just teach just a little lesson are practicing this principle. They're not writing the Bible. I mean, that's serious, right? But they're just, they're just helping. What would it look like if we all committed to saying, God, I want to be a person whose heart is ready to step in and serve, maybe not write like what Peter's saying, but just an opportunity so that we would see other people hear that you love them. Because of Silas, the church that Peter sends this to, the letter that they get, they'll read it and he's, he's kind of like a messenger to them. He gives them the letter and he brings it to them and he reminds them of what God is calling them to, what it means to have their lives built on the teachings of Jesus. Do you want to be someone like this? There's been times in my life where, you know what, I just wanted to be a Christian for like a miracle. Oh, just victory. We need victory in the Lord. But the maturity it takes to go be with people who are going to suffer and are going to struggle and are going to wonder and doubt and their hearts are going to be just on the line, on the line where they're like, everything is meaningless. Nothing matters. Everybody's going to burn. Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus is at work. Even in the suffering, he's there. He's with you. And Peter's writing from someone who's lived through that. He's like, don't let me get started when they try to kill me. He's not writing tips from someone who's like, he knows what it's like to write this or to share this. Just to help you understand some of the things he's going to say, I want to take you to a section of, of this letter where Peter is going to talk about humility. And I really think this is important for us because a lot of times when you think of having your life anchored in Jesus, when you think of being a person who's firm in your faith, it's so easy for that to become being stubborn or annoying or loud so easy. I know many people who don't go to church. They don't believe in God. And in their heads, they have like an example or an experience where somebody's like yelling at them with a track. Oh, it's almost the end times. I'm like, oh, you want to hear like a secret? When I was really, really young, I did that once. I felt so powerful. Nobody said yes. But I was like, it doesn't matter. It's about me telling them. I had no wisdom or maturity to think this might not help anyone at all. I had no wisdom or maturity to know this actually, my may actually confuse them when it comes to God. I didn't even think like, what's your name? Like, what are you going through? Like, there was nothing. I was like, doesn't matter. Just gotta. I was trying to be like Peter. The Bible invites us to be people who are firm, anchored in the way of Jesus. We stand fast in the teachings of Jesus. But Peter's like, by the way, that should be built on a person's life who's already committed to be humble. And a humble person is someone people want to listen to. By the way, 
There's something about humility that makes you easy to listen to. And this is what Peter's going to say. Just think about this. He says, all of you. Who? Who? All of us. All of you. First section talks about to the elders. Then he goes here. He goes, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. So it's not my mighty hand. It's like God, right? Like we're humble under God. Who, who, who is the one who knows what he's doing, right? Under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God cares for you? Do you believe that there's a real God that cares for you? This is not like a God who's like energy positive. He's not a God who's like in the universe He's not a God that you just feel like when you go for a hike or visit the mountains. This is a God with like a a purpose of caring for people. Intentional caring. Peter knows that this is a big deal. Because when the Bible's being written, there's so many gods you can believe in. And Peter's going to say, the God I'm telling you about is not just any kind of God. He's a God that you know humbled himself to show you how much he cares for you. That he came and took on like a human form to show you how much he cares for you. It's so important that we continue to remind ourselves that God really cares for us. You know why this is important? Because if you don't believe it, you will never tell someone else that God cares for them. Do you believe that God cares for you? For your kids? For the dreams that you have? For the goals that you hope to accomplish? God cares about those things. He really does. And maybe for you, that's just the first step. You're like, I'm not there. Like, that's hard. I see everything going on in the world. I'm like, why does God care for me? Why does he not care for poor people around the world? You ever do that? You find the worst thing you can imagine, and you, you, you measure yourself against that? If he cares for me, how come he's... Well, you know how God cares for those poor people around the world? By using people like us. His church, who believe in his teachings, so we respond to the needs of people around the world. That's how it happens, right? It's not just miracles and magic. It's maturity in action, caring for others. And I love this. He says, humble yourselves under God's hand. And, and, and it's profound. Like this week I thought about the word anxiety because maybe you know we, we're living at a time where anxiety is a, is a massive concern, you know, and a lot of issues. And anxiety is very complex. And in no way do I want to minimize it. Uh, I've been teaching for years, and even a few years ago, I, I think maybe it's five years ago, there was even the development of, of an awareness by psychologists and doctors that there's even something now called eco-anxiety. You've never heard of this. A whole generation feeling the anxiety around the environment just really breaking down. And, and as a pastor, I always feel this tension. You talk to older people, they're like, oh, whatever, it's going to burn. You know people like that in your family? Okay, some of you, whatever, come, come to my family. Okay, so... Some there, and then there's younger people that are like, no, we need to care, and they don't kind of talk, or they don't really communicate, and then there's anxiety, and there's like, whew, like, I, I, it's just like, how, what do you do with this? That's very real, but there's a general anxiety that we can feel, the kind of anxiety that comes from being concerned what people think about you, being nervous what people are going to say about your kids, are you a good enough parent, are you a good enough student? Right? And you think about it enough and you're like, I don't know, I'm, not, it's, I'm feeling anxious. Uh, how did you do on your exams? I'm, well, I'm anxious about that. I didn't do as good as my other friend. All these things. And one of the things I'm learning, maybe you want to remember this. One of the things I'm learning is that the more I practice humility, which is understanding my place in God's world and in his plans. The word humble means to be close to the ground. It means to know your place. The more I sense humility growing in me, the less likely I am to be anxious. I never thought about the connection. But years ago, it kind of dawned on me that as you're humble and as you realize, God, I need to humble myself and I need to trust you with my life. I need to trust that you're doing certain things. And, you know, someone who's humble realizes that they're not always going to get their own way. They're not always going to always, their perspective's not always going to matter. You know, humble. You just, it's okay. You're just there and you're humble and you wait for an opportunity. Part of humility as Christians is to be obedient to God. Because Jesus is the greatest example of what it means to be humble. And his humility is not like, oh, woe is me, it's hard, whip myself. There's none of that. It's I was humble and being obedient to what the Father asked me to do. I was humble. And I did that. That's a humility. 
that as you do that, there's a certain freedom that you care less about what others think because it matters most what God's called you to. This is it's life-changing. Like it set me free in my life. As a pastor, I remember so much anxiety in my own life. You might be shocked, but like as a pastor, the anxiety of like, you know, are we going to meet the budget? Is the church going to grow? Are people going to serve? Are people? Oh, after a while, I'm like, forget this. I'm going to be a plumber. Not that plumbers don't have anxiety, by the way. But, you know, I'm just saying. I have like a joke. My wife sees me. She's like, Dom, are you okay? Huh? I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's a lot, babe. I missed my calling. I should have been a famous soccer player. That's... <laughs> Some of you are like, what, what, what? I'm kidding. I, I'm not that good. Okay, but it's the idea that we have all these other things that sound would be better. And then we're off the track. That God's like, no, this is what I've called you to. Just be humble and obedient here. Serve me here. Trust me here. And all of a sudden, I started to sense, well, maybe there's a kind of freedom that is connected to being humble. Maybe you need that this year. You know, a lot of people who live with you are praying that you're humble this year. They're praying that you grow in humility this year. They're praying that you would learn that you don't always have to say what you're thinking. You don't always have to get the final word in a conversation. They're praying for a sense of humility to be birthed in you. And that humility is birthed in you because you want to be like Jesus. And you want to be obedient to the things God's calling you to do the way Jesus was obedient. That's what you want. Peter is writing this to a church to practice this and to live in this space and to think about what it means to be this kind of person. And then he does something so profound. He introduces us to the person in the Bible everybody knows is the complete opposite of being humble. Complete opposite. That's what he says. But be alert and sober-minded. Some Bibles will say self-controlled. Your enemy who? The devil. The king of pride prowls around like a roaming lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Wow. It's that powerful. He's like, let's talk about humility for a bit. Let's talk about what it means to be humble. And if you don't think this is serious, let me tell you about the person who has no humility in them at all. They operate always on pride. Pride is at the center of everything that evil is about. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the devil and the powers of the devil. Peter wants us to help us kind of think about this a bit more. And he doesn't say like a little red guy with the horns. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He just says, if you want to know what the devil is like, hmm, what can I give you? An image, an image of something powerful, authoritative, come to destroy. When you see it, you're afraid. You think about the roar of a lion. You're, he's like, think of a roaring lion. Just waits at the right time to, to kill you destroy you. Now, if you're taking notes, this is important. You need to remember this. The Bible uses the same image to talk about God. The Bible uses the same image of a roaring lion to talk about who God is. That God is a roaring lion, right? So you want to be careful that you don't like use this image too much because it breaks down. It's Peter just saying, I need an image to help you or you're not going to take this seriously. You're going to think the devil's like, oh, like spooky ghosts. No, no, no. It's not that. It's the one who comes to destroy all of the good things that God has in store for you. The one who comes to discourage you and to, in your suffering, lead you to think that everything is meaningless. That's the one. And Peter knows, because the devil's done this with Peter. Peter knows what it's like for the devil to come and say to Peter, hey, Peter, not like, like a person, but through conversations, hey, didn't you follow that Jesus? Aren't you the guy who was with Jesus? Is that you? You're that Peter? Peter's like, no, no, I'm not, it's not me. I'm not sure. Peter knows what it's like to feel the pressure of knowing how to be strong when the devil comes like a lion. Can I tell you something that's going to be so important for you this year? That one of the ways that the devil comes to destroy us, one of the ways, the most perfect way that the devil comes to ruin our lives is to make us comfortable with our pride. You know why? Because it feels good to be proud. It feels strong to always tell people what to do and to remind them that they're not as smart as you, that you have more experience. And the devil has a way, because this is his way. This is his way. He has a way of coming and touching that part of us that's like, yeah, it's true. What it is people don't, people know who I am. 
I don't know why I am. I remember like years ago, I was working at a church. And when I got there, this is a super confession moment. I got there and I was new on the staff at this church. And it was a church that, maybe you're not familiar with this, but there's a church that when the pastors kind of joined the team, they got a parking spot in the front of the church. Don't be judging me right now. And so I, I joined the staff and I was like, oh, this is great, you know, and a week went by and there's no parking spot for Pastor Dom. It wasn't Dr. Dom yet, but even that. You get that? I got that in there, some pride action. Okay. So, just pray for me. Okay, so I, I get there, two weeks go by, and I'm like, hey, you know, I didn't see the marker, Pastor Dom parking. And you could always show up late because it's so flashy. Show up late, people are like, oh, my kid's far, they're parking far, but if you were a pastor, you'd be right here. Sorry. Three weeks, four weeks, finally, my par- there's n- I never get a parking spot. I'm just like, you know what, this place, I'm working at the wrong church. They don't know, they don't know what I'm about. And I remember going to the leaders, and I said to them, I said, well, what's going on? I go, pastor, how come I don't park? They're like, yeah, well, it's not going to work. We needed one more for the handicap, you know, parking, and, you know, you're kind of new on the staff. You're going to have to wait till one of the other pastors leaves. I was like, wow. I was like, I don't even know why that bothered me so much, but I know that in my heart, I'm like, the devil just has to get me to feel proud enough to be upset because you can't lead people you don't love. Just enough. I'm like, I should pray for one of the pastors at this church to die. <laughs> I didn't say that, but some of you just woke up, and I was like, finally, you're back at church. But. but I was just thinking the kinds of things pride will make you do. And so many people, they're in church, they're like, oh, the devil's coming, he's attacking our house, we're going to do a prayer circle around our kid's school. Are you kidding me? Just don't be proud. The nonsense Christians come up with. They're like going to go to war with the devil. I'm like, the devil had enough courage to tempt Jesus, and you're going to go at war with the devil. You want to go at war with the devil? Be humble this year. It'll destroy everything he tries to do. Everything. And every time you feel it, you're like, I'm humble because Jesus, my Lord, was humble. And that's what I'm going to do. Don't believe all that other nonsense. Sprinkle sauce here, spirits there. What's going on? But it sells like crazy. It sells. Because they're not reading Peter. Peter's like, be humble. Because when the devil comes, he's going to touch that. And you know what? We know, I'm not even making this up. He does this with Jesus. Jesus is being tempted in the desert. And we don't have time because I want to wrap up. But he's tempted in the desert. And you know, God's calling him. He's obedient. He's humble. He's obedient. He's going now. His ministry is going to begin. And you know what the devil says to him? Listen, wait a second. Aren't you like the son of God? Whoa, whoa, do you have a parking spot? Like, nobody knows you're the son of God? Come on, nobody knows you're the son of God. People should know. Like, you're, you're like the son of God. Like, let's do some tricks. Why don't you turn these rocks into bread? So people will know. See how, how easily? And you're like, pride feels so good, but it'll kill you. And no one who's okay with being proud will ever be able to build their lives on the teachings of Jesus, never. It's impossible. Peter says to us, that's firm. You can be firm. You can stand fast, but you need to be humble. Humble people are open to learn. Humble people can confess their sins to one another. Humble people know what it's like to be a disciple and to have to grow and to say, God, I didn't understand this. And Peter is the great example of this. The one whose name is the rock. He's the one. It's beautiful. That's what he says at the end. He says, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Peter's like, he's holding together. All Be humble and just trust God and I know that you're suffering. And I know I feel that you want to give up. And I know that you feel like you're not on a firm foundation. But just think about all the other Christians around the world. Now the world at the time that Peter was writing wasn't as big as now. But he already knows that there's other people around the world that are suffering because they love Jesus. I'm going to invite the team to come back up and we're going to just end with a song. We do this often. And By the way, we don't just do a song because we don't know what to do. We, we invite you to hear the song or sing the song as a way of responding to what Jesus is saying. As a way of saying, there's parts of the sermon that's for me. 
And I remember as I was studying and I was reading this, I'm like, what does it mean to stand firm while you think in your mind that throughout the world there are other people who are suffering in ways that we can't even imagine? And, and I t- in my notes, like I have when I'm studying or praying, I wrote this down. This is what Peter says. He says, there's undergoing the same kind of suffering. And I had this moment in my own heart where I'm like, not today they're not. Not today they're not. Some of you know, like last year, one of the most life-changing experiences is I had a chance to go teach in Ethiopia. And I saw suffering there that I don't think anyone in Canada will ever experience. I at least won't experience it. And I thought about the suffering around the world. And I want to feel like, oh, I'm suffering too, but I'm not. I want to feel like, oh, even for us, it's hard to obey the Lord. No, it's not. Trust me, it's not. No matter how much we're inconvenienced or the government and we're not sure and all those things, fine, we need to work on those things. But when we think about the suffering of people who've said yes to Jesus. And just last week, I get this note of just some reading around the world, Christians who are around the world experiencing pain and suffering and poverty. And it just helps me to have like just a focus, like I'm having a bad day, like it's a rich person's bad day. And I read this story. You can go to the slide. Death toll in Democratic Republic of Congo in a church's attack. Ten people were killed. Thirty-nine others were injured. People were killed in a bomb explosion during a church service. Let that sink in. You know what's going to happen in many churches in Africa and around the world the next Sunday? This happened last Sunday while we were here singing hallelujah to the Lord. You know what's going to happen next Sunday? These brothers and sisters, they're going to get up early and they're going to go to church. That's what they're going to do. Because they know that the power for their suffering is found when they worship together as brothers and sisters. That's why Peter's going to write it. Peter's going to write his letter to churches. And he's going to say, you, when you're feeling the weight and the struggle, you're tired in the morning because you stayed up late to watch UFC. Nobody cares. You're tired. Peter's going to say, you want to know what it's like to be encouraged and to see your brothers and sisters cry and pray and sing the suffering around the world. That we would remember this this year. That we would remember that we are so blessed and the blessing of being where we are, as difficult as it is, requires a readiness to respond to the needs of our brothers and sisters who are suffering around the world. Ready to go, to pray, to give, and I was reading this story and I saw this dear sister's face. You gotta watch the video and you see it. And I thought, one day everybody at our church will meet her. What will you say to her when she tells you this story? What will you say to her when she asks you, How did you sacrifice for Jesus our Lord? What will you say? It was snowing, my car, I had to do the scratchy scratch thing on the windshield. It's crazy, I stayed home. I'll forget it. What are you gonna say? Want to stand firm on the teachings of Jesus? Peter's like, I'm going to show you what that's like. I want a miracle. I want God to do amazing things this year. But the greatest thing God will do this year is he will teach us to be mature. And out of that place, he can trust us with a miracle. We're going to sing a song that's chain breaker. We're just going to hear the song. And as we sing the song, I want you to hear the song differently. There's some words in the song that feel like, oh, I'm just going to sing this song and it's going to, breakthrough is coming. Not always. And not in the way you expect it. If you don't believe me, read First and Second Peter. Humility, suffering, strength from God. And just ask God to open your heart to help you understand what is he calling you to do. Maybe it's as simple as saying, I need to begin with like leaving my anxiety here today. Maybe that's it. Maybe it needs to be like, I just need to understand what it means to sacrifice more. Not just sacrifice for my own things, but to sacrifice for the things of God. Maybe I need to learn that. As you sing, just let Jesus speak to you. Be open to respond, and I'll be up in a second to close. Prayer. Let's stand as we sing.
sure what chains look like for you but let me tell you they're all connected to pride I want to do something that I I haven't done before and as we close I want to tell you that it's very common for Christians they're worshiping when they finish their gathering as a feeling of you know that God is sending us out together that often in in kind of some churches maybe you've experienced this there's kind of a benediction that's done have you ever heard that word a benediction it comes from uh, like saying something good, benedere, it's, it's the translation, is to say a good word about, okay? It's to say something good about someone. And, and it's very, very often used that the last section of this section of Peter is used as a benediction. And so I just want to read it for us. And I want us to hear it not just as like a, just something where we can learn from, but I want us to hear it as kind of like this word from God of him saying this over us together. That he is the one who's reminding us of the firmness that he's calling us to, and that together we're learning what it means to be people who encourage each other in the suffering. And I'm going to push you just one more place of uncomfortable, because you're never going to handle suffering if you can't handle just being uncomfortable, right? I'm going to ask you to hold someone's hand who's next to you, all the way through the, the rows. And that means you're holding someone's hand you do not know, okay? That means when I'm done praying, you can ask them their name and get to know them. Just all the way through, all the way through. Link. Reach as far as you can. Feel awkward a bit? Sweaty hands? Some of you are going to send me emails, I feel it. Saddam, if they coughed, I don't know, it's not safe. (laughs) Delete, 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 delete. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear these words, not just to those who are suffering in Rome and around the world. I want you to hear them as words for us from Jesus, our Lord, the humble one. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever 
and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we've come here today because you've drawn us here. And those of us in this room and those of us online have no idea what 2023 holds. But we know that a certain kind of suffering might await us. And in those moments, would you teach us what it means to stand firm against the ways of the enemy, against the pride in our hearts, and against all of the wicked schemes of this world. I pray for those who are online who are maybe hearing this and who feel alone in their anxiety, would they know that they are not alone? That we would be aware and attentive to ways that we are being called to use our freedom to bless and help others. As we hold hands, may it be a sign and a symbol to each of us that we are part of your family. And that means we feel the pain of our brothers and sisters around the world. We want to carry their suffering with them. And so we pray, Jesus, would you be with your church? Would you be with leaders who make decisions and laws that govern such complex issues around the world? Protect us from looking at those things and saying everything is meaningless, for that is the way of the evil one. Not with you, Jesus. Not with your grace. And as we go now, would you help us to be those who know that you are looking out for us and our family and that you in due time will make us strong. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're really grateful. Chance to worship together. Hey, hey, if you don't know the person you will hands with, say hi. I feel weddings are coming next year. We're going to do some weddings next year. God bless everyone. Love you. See you next week.